Well, good evening and welcome. And welcome to those who are joining us online at home. We trust safe and warm as well as those who are listening by way of the radio broadcast. We're so glad that you've purposed to gather together this evening around the teaching of God's Word. Psalm 78 this evening is where we will go in your copy of the Holy Scripture, Psalm 78. Uh, there are no printed notes. There is no PowerPoint to project. We're going old school this evening. We're simply going to have an open Bible before us and uh, work through Psalm 78 together. I do have an outline, as always, but it's so simplistic I hardly thought it was worth the printing of the paper. So if you need to take notes, you'll find perhaps some way to do that uh, on your own. But Psalm 78 this evening. I was privileged to know my great-grandfather uh, until his death when I was 19 years old. And after living so many years and having so many experiences, he had great stories to tell. And I remember visiting my great-grandfather and and hearing him tell stories of the war, some were of the farm, some were of tragedies he endured, some were about the Great Depression. And as my great-grandfather would tell his stories, some of them, bless his heart, for the 10th time, right, over and over again, he was passing on history from his generation to my generation. And although I didn't always appreciate it, I was learning from the things that he experienced from the lessons he had learned. And now today, so many years later, I'm grateful for those moments spent with him. And subsequently, my grandparents have passed away, my parents have passed away. And among the many reasons that I miss them uh, is that they are no longer able to speak into my life of the events before my life. And perhaps those of you that have lost parents and grandparents, great-grandparents, uh, along the way, I have had questions about my own family history and I have no one to ask. And some of that family history is lost to history because I don't know where to go to find the details of, of which uncle was that who lived where and that story was who again and those memories become faint in my mind and at times I wanna pick up the phone and call my dad or my grandfather uh, to, to learn again some of those things. But um, there are times when, when I wonder what life was like when they were young. What trials they endured before I was born. And the stories that they could tell me now would serve me now if I could hear them now. For it has been said, those who fail to remember their history are doomed to repeat it. And those who forget where they came from are in danger of returning to the very same place. You're familiar with that maxim. And it's not that experience is the best teacher. It's experience remembered is the best teacher. Or experience that is rehearsed is the best teacher. And this morning I propose to you, and you've heard me say this many times over the course of years, Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, did not apostatize or turn away from their God because they forgot his word, but because they forgot his works. They failed to remember their history. They lost the stories of God's working among them. And you're familiar with the cycle that they followed course repeated in the, the book of Judges. There was sin or disobedience followed by suffering, a consequence of their disobedience, 
followed by supplication, calling on the Lord for deliverance because of the consequences of their disobedience. And then finally, salvation, God's deliverance. Sin, suffering, supplication, salvation. Sin, suffering, supplication, salvation, over and over and over again. In fact, seven times in the book of Judges alone, a span of 350 years, seven times Israel repeated that cycle. Why? Why that pattern? Why might this event even be the case in our own lives? Because they so easily forgot the works of God. They had the word of God. Scribes, of course, capturing these things uh, on, on paper, as it were but they forgot the works of God. And this evening I would exhort us not to err in the same way. Let me pause briefly for prayer and then we'll look at Psalm 78 together. God in heaven, we're so grateful that you are the God of ages past and of ages to come. Lord, you are the God of our yesterday, you're the God of our tomorrow. And so Lord, we trust you and we bow the knee and declare you to be Lord of every day. We're thankful for that. God, I pray that you'd give us insights and understanding this evening as we study Psalm 78 so that we do not err as ancient Israel did. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 78 is a mass skill, perhaps your English Bible uh, titles it, or a contemplation of Asaph, that worship leader or music director. And, And so he has this contemplation in Psalm 78 I've divided the psalm into four parts, just very briefly. Number one, the plea. The plea in verses one through five, and this is Asaph's plea. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and which we have known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works which he had done, for he established a testimony, a record in Jacob or Israel, and appointed a law in Israel, which he had commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. And so Asaph is crying, listen to me, please listen. I want to review what we know of our history, what we've heard from our fathers. We shouldn't be hiding these things from our children or their children. We need to tell the next generation about the wonderful works that God has done because God has established a testimony. He's established a history lesson or a history account with a lesson that each generation needs to hear. That's the plea in verses one through five. Secondly, then there's the purpose. Why? Beginning in verse six, the purpose. That, the gen- anytime you see the English that, that's a purpose statement. Here's the reason why, the purpose. That the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The children of Ephraim being armed, that's the the northern tribes of Israel, um, being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. The purpose. I think the primary purpose statement is is perhaps highlighted in verse number seven, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. And, And notice then how somehow obedience is linked to remembering what God had done. 
And obedience is always a challenge for the people of God. We know that God wants us to do this or that or to not do this or that, but we struggle with the motivation to follow through with obedience to him. It's hard to set our heart toward God, be faithful to him if we don't know what he's done in the past. The majority of the psalm then is a history account of what God had done for Israel. And so I would title verses 12 through 59, it's a large portion of the psalm, the past. There's the plea, the purpose, and now the past. The plea, verses one through five, the purpose, verses six through 11, and now the past in verses 12 through 59. And if you'll keep up with me, we'll work our way through this history account, verse number 12. Marvelous things he did in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the waters stand up like a heap. God brought 10 plagues upon the Egyptians, miraculously led Israel through the Red Sea, perhaps the single most spectacular event in the history of Israel. Exodus 15 records the song of Moses, a song of praise that Moses and Israel sang to God following their deliverance from Egypt and their passing through the Red Sea. The horse and its rider fell into the sea. And they sang at that time that song of victory, but since that time they had forgotten. Verse number 14, Uh, in the daytime, in the daytime also he led them with the cloud all the night in the light of, of fire. So following the passing through the Red Sea, God led two million people through the desert wilderness, a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day. This is great history, folks. How can you forget these events. Verse 15 and 16, he split the rocks in the wilderness, gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused the the waters to run down like rivers. And God sustained Israel in the wilderness miraculously by providing water. Now, we of course enjoy an abundance of fresh water. Here in the upper Midwest, we have the, the five great lakes that can serve us. In the state of Minnesota, we have more than 10,000 lakes. The supply of fresh water is never a concern. However, in other places around the world, it is, even in our own Southwest uh, America, in some of the desert regions there. But even on a micro scale, never mind a macro, on the micro level, we understand occasions when we are thirsty, we're dry and thirsty. I remember leading a missions trip to Mexico uh, with a youth group back in the day, we were instructed to drink a gallon of water each day to prevent dehydration. I remember on one occasion being in the Holy Land and besides our Bibles and our cameras, we always carried a water bottle. We did so much walking and, uh, and the heat was so intense, we perpetually needed water. And the children of Israel were in the desert, they needed water. On one occasion, Moses struck a rock, water gushed out. Another time, he was to speak to the rock, but he struck it again instead, and nevertheless, God gave them water. And, it, and in these occasions, don't think of a little trickle um, or, or a spurt of water, or even a small pool. This had to be a river of gushing water to provide fresh water for two million people with all of the animals beside. It's incredible. Verse 17, verse 17, but they sinned even more against him by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness. They tested God in their heart by asking for food for their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. 
Can he give bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? And Israel made demands on God that simply stemmed from their lust, not their needs, but their lusts, their, their appetites and the passions of their flesh, and they sarcastically challenged God to see if he could provide for them again. Verse 21, therefore the Lord heard this and was furious, so a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. Yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna on them to eat, and given them of the bread of heaven. Men ate angels' food. He sent them food to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He also rained meat on them like the dust, feathered fowl like the sand of the seas, and he let them fall in the camp, in the midst of their camp, all around their dwellings. So they ate and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. God gave them what they wanted. But, in fact, they grew to hate it. Psalm 106 verse 15 is an important cross-reference here at this point. Psalm 106 verse 15 says that God granted their request, but he sent leanness to their soul. So understand this. God gave them water in the wilderness. He gave them bread in the wilderness. He gave them meat in the wilderness. God indulged them their demands, but sent leanness to their soul. I can think of another occasion in Israel's history when they cried and whined and demanded something of God and he gave it to them. Remember the occasion that they wanted a king to be like the other nations. Saul was their first king, then David, then Solomon, then the kingdom split in two. The northern tribes of Israel followed with Jeroboam, Nadab, Baasha, Elah, etc. Judah, the southern tribes, had Rehoboam, Abijah, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Ahaziah. They had kings for the rest of their history. And folks, their demand for a king to be like the other nations around them came back to haunt them as those kings led them astray to worship other gods. Those kings took their daughters as wives, took their young men and set them to war those kings took their fields and vineyards as their own, just as the prophet Samuel warned in 1 Samuel 8. Folks, be, be careful what you demand of God. Be careful what you insist from God, because he may just give it to you, but send leanness to your soul at the very same time. And the nation of Israel needed to learn a lesson here in the desert. If, if discontentment makes you demand something of God and he gives it to you, it's not necessarily the best thing for you. And don't be surprised if you're still discontent. Of course, what a disaster the rest of Israel's history has been. And oh, if they would have remembered the time in the wilderness when they demanded meat for their needs, no, for their lusts, but it only brought leanness to their soul. Psalm 106, verse 15. Let's keep reading, verse 30. They were not deprived of their craving, but while their food was still in their mouths, the wrath of God came against them and slew the stoutest of them and struck down the choice men of Israel. In spite of this, they still sinned. Why? 
What was their error? Verse 32 here, they did not believe in his wondrous works. Therefore their days he consumed in futility and their years in fear. Life was vain and futile. Life was filled with fear. When he slew them, they, then they sought him and they returned and sought earnestly for God. Then they remembered that God was their rock and the most high God, their redeemer. God had to judge them because of their sin and because of the plague that he sent them. Numbers 11 records one of those plagues. They returned to the Lord in obedience. They remembered, verse 35, their God. And folks, this is the cycle, the vicious cycle that the children of Israel followed. Verse 36, nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouth. They lied to him with their tongue, for their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. So the, they, they worshiped him with verbal homage, but it was false. They professed him, but their life didn't prove it. Verse 37, why? Because verse 37 tells us that their heart was not right. They were not solid and grounded in the word of God here now at this point and faithful to his covenant. Verse 38, but he being full of compassion forgave their iniquity. Isn't that good? You might underscore that or highlight that, circle that. Verse 38, he being full of compassion forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. God's mercy and grace spared them from the judgment they deserved. We are not Old Testament Israel. We are the New Testament church. But has God not forgiven our sin? Has he not turned his wrath away from us and put it on the Lord Jesus Christ? You, you, you can say amen in this church, by the way. Are, are you listening to me? God has forgiven our, our sin. He's turned his wrath from us and put it on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's merciful. He's compassionate. You see, the God of Israel is the God of the New Testament church. We need to remember that verse 39. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. They were simply humans, a wind that passes away. James 4.4, 4, our lives are a, a vapor. They appear for a time and then vanish away. Verse 40, how often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy. Are you kidding me? How can you not remember what God has done in delivering you? But how often do we deserve the judgment of God, yet he has compassion, he forgives, we provoke him, we grieve him, yet he turns his anger away. We forget that he's delivered us from bondage. He's given us spiritual deliverance from our sin, just as he delivered Israel from, from Egypt, but we forget. Verses 43 to 51, Asaph reminded Israel of the plagues that God brought on Egypt, great miracles and, and wonders. Your eyes are are scanning some of these things. Verses 54 and verse 55, Asaph reminded Israel that they hardly had a fight when they came to possess the promised land. God did the fighting for them. 
In fact, look at verse 55. Verse 55, he also drove out the nations before them, allotted them an inheritance by survey, and made the tribes of Israel dwell in their tents. You see, they didn't have to even rebuild, they simply moved in. Sometimes we, we, we get the misperception that in the conquest, Joshua and the children of Israel leveled the whole promised land and cleared everything out. But in most cases, they simply walked in and, uh, and were able to reside there in houses they did not build, in vineyards, eating from vineyards they did not plant. You recall from Deuteronomy chapter six as God promised. Verse 56, yet they tested and provoked the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned back and acted unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow. The cycle is being repeated again. They tempted God. They didn't obey his word. They turned aside like unfaith their unfaithful fathers. They stirred God's holy anger. They worshiped idols in the high places or literally the places of worship. They were to destroy those things. They were not to take wives from among the heathen, but they disobeyed so that in verse 59, God brought judgment to them again. Verse 59, when God heard this, he was furious. He greatly abhorred Israel. And um, God's judgment is then explained in the rest of the psalm. Folks, this is quite a story. And it's incredible to see the events in Israel's history. These things are familiar to us. We, we've known some of these events from our childhood, but it's incredible to look back and see the continuous cycle that they traveled because they kept forgetting what God had done for them. So, there's the plea of Asaph. Please listen to what I'm saying. There's the purpose statement that he makes, that they may set their hope in God and not forget what he has done. There's the past, the record of history, and now, number four, the point. The point. What's the point in all of this? Why do we read 50, 60, 70 verses of scripture in Psalm 78. What's the, the point? The application is, is this, like Israel, if we forget our history, we are doomed to repeat it. If we forget what God has done among us, we will become ungrateful and ultimately become unfaithful. So what is it in this moment that you can think of in your mind's eye as you rehearse the previous months or years, uh, let's say perhaps in the life of Fourth Baptist Church, over the generations here. Has God saved anyone? Has God's word changed anyone? Has God protected, has God provided, has he led and guided our church through different seasons of life? He has. Some of you were here long before there was me. And you know some of the stories We've been here in this campus now for 25 years. But before this place, there was another place in North Minneapolis. And there are events and stories that you remember, you could recall if you've been part of Fourth Baptist for many years. Never mind our, our church family, what about in your own family? This morning I had a, a, a lady uh, approach me and explain to me that she was told that she would never have children um, but yet God gave her two children. This is years gone by in, in response to, to the study this morning. 
And she said, it's a marvelous thing as I, in my old age, not on her deathbed, but in her old age, look back and she says, my faith has matured because I remember when I was a young woman and, these, and she shared with me some of those circumstances. What a testimony. What a great story. And her recounting that story to me actually buoyed my faith and strengthened my faith as she gave praise to God for the works of God in, in her life. So maybe even in this moment you think back that the time I was young, we were newly married, our, our child was sick, we were out of money, there was a conflict that God resolved, whatever the, whatever the circumstance, that move that we made across the country and we were so uncertain about how God was gonna coordinate events and, and you go back and you remember those things. So practically speaking, how can we help ourselves remember and not err like Israel? Let me give you just some practical pastoral ideas here as we conclude. A couple ideas. One, I would encourage you to keep a journal a works of God journal, you might call it. Um, I've over the years have shared that when my wife and I were married, now nearly 25 years ago, um, on our wedding day, I gave Kim a works of God journal. And in that journal, I didn't bring it with me, but I, I cited Psalm 78 and I said, we're gonna keep track of the works of God in our family. And we did great for a number of years. We filled pages and pages. And now the works of God journal is buried somewhere in my office, but, uh, and we've lapsed at that. But keep a journal so that you can flip back over through the pages and, and remember how God provided and protected and answered prayer and, and have those things to recall. Um, Kim and I have some friends. Uh, we, we were at their home for dinner some time ago, and there on their kitchen table, they had a glass bowl of pebbles, like river rock. Uh, here in Minnesota, and they had taken a Sharpie marker and they had written things on those stones as a centerpiece of their table, and they'd filled that glass bowl with all these stones. And they were stones of remembrance. Of course, borrowing from Joshua chapter four, when, when Joshua had Israel erect stones of remembrance, and what that family would do is each day at the dinner table is they would reach into the glass bowl and they would pull out a stone with something written on it, just a word, a date, a number that would trigger their memory of something that God had done for them. So tonight it might be, you know, healthy birth of, you know, Susie Q, or it might be, you know, God's prov provision, uh, you know, when, when dad lost his job, whatever, whatever the case. I don't, I don't know what all those stones were, and I don't know how they shuffled them. It's kind of hard to, to shuffle the, the stones there without breaking the glass bowl. But what a great idea to have stones of remembrance and to rehearse those things. Of course, traditions, family traditions give you an occasion for this. At the Thanksgiving table, perhaps work around the table and cite something from that very current year that you can thank God for, helping you conclude your 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 education or, or closing a, a contract at work or whatever the case. Um, we do something in the life of our church um, that helps us to not forget the works of God. And it's something called the Lord's table. The ordinance of the Lord's table, the communion observance is so that we remember Jesus' death on the cross. And I confess to you that at times I think to myself, is it already the first Sunday of the month? I feel like we just did communion like yesterday. And here we go again. 
Well, that is so important for the life of the believer to be reminded of what Jesus Christ has done for us, lest we be like Israel and we forget the works of God and we turn away from the Lord. Folks, God has been good to us. In spite of trials and suffering, he has, with a mighty hand, he has saved us, he has preserved us, he has blessed us. May we not forget what he has done. May we declare with David in Psalm 126, verse number three, the Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Or Psalm 107, verse one, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Let us not forget. And perhaps even among ourselves as we edify one another here in this assembly, we can remind each other of answered prayer, blessing, provision in our individual lives and our lives as a church so that we don't forget the works of God. Let me pray. God in heaven, thank you for Psalm 78 and the plea of Asaph. Lord, we understand its purpose so that we would not forget, that we might set our hope in God because we don't forget. And, and Lord, as we rehearse some of Israel's history, as we think back on some of our own history, Lord, we know the point, the application. It's, it's simple this evening. It, it hardly merits a set of notes or a, a PowerPoint slide. Lord, these things are, are self-evident and self-explanatory, but Lord, so profound. I pray for the men and women, the families before me this evening, God, that we might be a people who are quick to remember and to give you praise and thanksgiving for who you are and for what you've done. We ask that your aid in this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.